Welcome to The Heartbeat. This episode has been a long time coming. Don't know why it didn't happen sooner. Uh, I have known Will for probably three years, two years, and working with him, he was my mentor for the past two years, and we just recently ended that container. And this is no exaggeration that this man and his work saved my life. Um, Those of you that do know my story know my near-death experience, and thankfully I was already connected with him, and he really helped bring me back, uh, for the lack of better terms. Um, He changed the way that I relate with people. He changed the way that I coach people. Um, And really, and I say changed, it deepened, it uh, expanded, it became way more refined. And I'm a better man because of this man. And this conversation that we had was like, I was gearing it around relationships at the time um, and how it relates to the nervous system and the body. It's a hot topic on the gram these days. (laughs) And Will is a licensed somatic experience practitioner who helps people um, work with trauma on trauma. He helps certify other coaches as well to be trauma informed, which is what I went through and drastically changed my coaching experience as the coach. And yeah, I can't say enough good things. Will's a friend, he's a mentor. um, And I'm super grateful for this person in my life. And I'm excited to bring this conversation to y'all listening to the heartbeat. Um, and it, we, we covered so much yet. I don't feel we covered enough. It's, it's crazy. We could go on and on about certain topics. Um, but this one was a good one. So without further ado, you're listening to the heartbeat as I interview Will Risen. So what's on your heart to talk about today? It's a good question, man. What's on my heart today? I think it'd be fun for us to get into conversation about how we form, how we how we come, how we form, how we form, how we come into the shapes that we uh, that we hold inside of ourselves. It definitely is a conversation that is really important that I don't don't think we look at a lot. So yeah, let's dive into that. Yeah. And you've taught me a lot about that in our work together. Mm -hmm. And I'm learning more all the time. Yeah. Isn't that true, man? So before we began, you you said something about wanting to, to overview something that we touched on last time we were we were together yeah last time we were together you had brought up a few things around um like human relating and an unobstructed view of reality Mm. that that phrase an unobstructed or i don't know if that was Mm -hmm. my interpretation of it but you it was uh, what i was saying yeah. yeah why don't we begin with a quote um so this is something that I like to share, but it's pulled from Anthony DeMello. Mm-hmm. I think I shared that lecture with you last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Life-changing. Yeah, so and maybe we can share it in the show notes. When the eye is unobstructed, the result is sight. When the ear is unobstructed, the result is hearing. 
the nose is unobstructed, the result is smell. And when the mouth is unobstructed, the result is taste. When the mind is unobstructed, the result is wisdom. And when the heart is unobstructed, the result is love. Mm. And so I led with that quote, and then you and I, I kind of meandered into talking about how a lot of the work that that happens in the personal development industry, in the psychotherapeutic industry, and even sometimes in the medical industry, is focused on adding in something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And there's an addition that's being it's being used, process of addition. But what I think that the Sufis and Anthony DeMello were pointing to was that it's not that we need to add anything in. We have everything we already need. It's usually the things that are the barriers to our awareness of ourselves and the world around us that get in the way. And so mm-hmm. that removal of the obstruction is what is it in me that's getting in the way of me experiencing the fullness of my aliveness? What's getting in the way of me being here in the present moment and experiencing reality as it is instead of adding things to reality? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that we add to reality from our memory from our reflexes, from our lived experiences. And so this removing of the obstructions is really an investigation into ourselves of what is it that's between me and reality? What is it inside of me? Or what is it in this moment that I'm making up um, or interpreting that's getting in the way of me experiencing life Mm. just as it is? Mm. Yeah, let's dive into that because that was really resonant and has been on my mind Mm. since we talked. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it is true. And I've been sitting with that for a few months um, because of the understandings of things that you have taught me through our work and seeing it in my own life, that real evolution is removing uh, the, the obstructions. And I think it's the quote of your task is not to seek love, but to seek all the barriers against it that you built within yourself. Uh, that's a good one. And it's, it's, it's been the essence of my work with people and you know, your work too, in, in, mm-hmm. in just a different way. So I, you know, could you give an example of that? Because we're talking theory for us mm-hmm. right now, but like an example of something playing out and how somebody listening can go, Oh, this I'm, I have a distorted view of reality right now mm. or it's not fully clear. There's fog on my windshield mm-hmm. from my past or what I'm projecting onto or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. A good example is, um, let me think about it. We all develop reflexes, so to speak, or reactions But if we think about the word reaction, it's like we're Mm -hmm. reacting, we're reenacting something. Mm -hmm. And that comes from a memory usually. So as we develop, we develop these unconscious biases, maybe we could call them. Um, But really more than that, they're adaptive responses to information that that our organism receives from from its environment. And so some way that might show up might be, well, the simplest example, I'll use an example from a traumatic experience because that's, it's big and it's obvious. But, the, but then we'll go into some of the ways that this shows up in smaller ways. Okay. But let's say I'm 
walking down the street. It's a really beautiful day. The sun is out. The sky is gorgeous. And I'm feeling amazing. And in this amazing state, I'm just, I look up and I'm appreciating the warmth of the sun on my face. And then from the right-hand side, there's a flash of red. And then I'm, and then I wake up and I'm in the hospital. And I don't know what happened. Now, I don't know that a red truck hit me while I was walking down the road. I'm told that I was in an accident. I'm okay, but I was knocked unconscious. I was taken to the hospital and I was, I was looked after, right? So I go back into my world and I, I heal seemingly fine. My body seems to have healed. But there are these moments sometimes where I feel agitated and I don't know why. I don't notice things when people are standing to the right of me. Mm. I just don't notice them as much. And then sometimes when I'm around certain people, I feel really agitated, but I can't tell why. They're not doing anything. So... I don't realize that when I'm around people wearing red shirts, Mm -hmm. the color red stimulates something in me that's left over, that's living on. Mm -hmm. And so this is an example that one of the trainers in in the somatic experiencing training that I went through used Mm -hmm. uh, to help to illustrate this. I think it's a really good way of illustrating how things live on inside of us. Um, And we're unaware of it. Like I don't realize that it's the color red. And what, what happened was that my body didn't have time to process the intensity of that experience. Mm-hmm. And so there's some sort of a piece of that information is connected to other responses in my body. And that might look like an emotional response. So as I give this example, I'm not saying it's always this way, more just as an example of one way that it could happen. And so I may omit information in my visual cortex because of the stress of that experience. So my system might intelligently turn away from the, the quadrant of my vision mm-hmm. where that, that threat came from. Now it could also do the opposite. It could be that I don't notice anything from the left-hand side and I'm constantly vigilantly looking at the right. Mm-hmm. But my quality of life has been impacted and I don't actually realize that my quality of life has been impacted. Mm-hmm. It's just happening, mm-hmm. right? So when we talk about removing the obstructions, that would be an obstruction between us and reality. Now we're responding through a memory, Mm. but the memory, our body can't differentiate from the memory and reality. So our body is saying, this is still happening. This is still happening. This is still happening. That can also happen in the realm of relationships. Correct. Yeah. So this, this example shows how our body adapts to experience. Yeah. Right, so across time, from the moment of conception all the way until the moment of death, we're adapting to sensory input. We're adapting to our environment, much like a tree adapts to its environment. We take a tree and we put it in a small pot. It's only going to grow as big as the environment. We take that same tree and we can put it in larger and larger environments and it's going to grow in relationship with it. And we're no different. We as humans grow in relationship to our environment. It's just that the way that we adapt to our environment is far more complex than a tree. And so when it comes to relationships, something happened in relationship when I was little. Something happened many, many, many times. Maybe I reached out for 
for love or for attention and I wasn't met. Maybe I had to really grasp on tightly to someone to get them to pay attention to me. Or maybe no one came, no one cared. Mm. And so I just gave up and I started doing it on my own. Mm. Now, all sorts of these different adaptive responses show up in the way that we just reflexively respond to things when we think that that's normal. And it's, it, it's because it is to us. Um, so a partner says something to me, that saying of something to me is interpreted by me to mean something. And usually that rests on top of the, the perception of a potential threat. We can say it that way. It's like, mm-hmm. My body's, I hear something, but what I'm also noticing is the body language of the individual that I'm with. And maybe it seems like they're pulling away from me and my system goes, oh, fuck, don't leave. Mm-hmm. And and then that becomes an interpretation, I mean, interpret, interpretation that, that turns into, oh, this person doesn't care about me or mm-hmm. they're being mean. And that's the obstruction on reality. Yeah, all of that is, yeah. Yeah. So the, the living memory inside of us is, is the barrier between us and really just experiencing what is. What mm-hmm. is, if we look objectively, objectively you and I are sitting on, on these surfaces mm-hmm. in this room right now. Now, I could interpret all kinds of things around that, that you're comfortably sitting Indian style mm-hmm. for whatever that means, right? But the reality is that we're two bodies in a room Now, we then layer on tons of layers of meaning around all of that. But when I remove all of that meaning and I remove any sort of impulse to respond, I'm just here. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else. I'm I'm simply here. And that's, I guess, to highlight, like on the relational example. Mm -hmm. Um, Just since that's what most of my listeners tune in for, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, somebody says something and you don't get stimulated from that expression and you're able to maybe hear, like fully hear them, mm-hmm. listen clearly without your own stuff getting in the way or putting a story onto something. Yeah. Um, and tying it back to the beginning when you were talking about how we form, mm-hmm. um, it's because of those past experiences. Yeah, it's... Um what I like to say, an intelligent adaptive response to the Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. And so then we build, make reflexes or patterns around that. Mm -hmm. Um, And our system or our body starts to take that shape. Um, So how we are forming really informs the way we perceive reality. And so for relationships, um, since that sounds like that's really relevant, my relationships now in life are colored by what I've learned about relationship across my lifetime. Mm -hmm. But that begins with the first relationship that I have. And that first relationship that I have is the relationship with my mother because I am my mother before I am separate from my mother, right? I'm Mm -hmm. an extension of that body. Mm -hmm. I am connected to it. I grow from within it. I am I am a part of it growing and then I'm not mm. right and so there's that initial relationship or not relationship because in many cases there's a rupture that happens somewhere in that connection that's going to inform how I 
relate with other. That's the fundamental beginning point. Mm-hmm. And then every other subsequent relationship that I have informs what I know about relationship, what I know about how other responds to me when I need other. Because we fundamentally need other in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And really, if we look at it scientifically now, we know that we fundamentally need other pretty much all the time. <laughs> now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Footnote that because I want to go back to that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this fundamental need uh, will do almost anything to get that need met. And so we develop these really subtle strategies. And for you, the listener, you can, there's a book by Deb Dana called The Power of Attachment. And that's a really great book. It illustrates how we bond and how we connect. Um, There's also a woman, her name is Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen. And her work really looks at, it, it can go into deeper explanation of the different movement patterns that we use to to get our needs for connection met. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, as we're forming, as we're, you know, as infants, as babies, as children, as teenagers, as young adults, as adults, every relationship is teaching us something and we're adapting subtly. Mm-hmm. Oh, that worked. Oh, that didn't work. No, we're not thinking about these things. Mm-hmm. They're just happening. They're happening as a byproduct of what we are as an organism. We we simply adapt and modify ourselves. Ooh, I'm going to try this. That didn't work. Maybe I'll do it slightly differently this time. Ah, yeah, that's getting that particular need met. Maybe I'll do it a little bit differently. Ah, that's even better. We're refining our process for getting our needs for connection met. And so in relationship, when those needs, when we perceive that those needs aren't being met, we will use all kinds of strategies to attempt to get them met, mm-hmm. right? Those strategies being things like putting our partner down, teasing them, accusing them of not loving us, pushing them away, begging them to stay, clinging to them, um, joking, sarcasm, yelling, temp- temper tantrums. All of these behaviors are behaviors that are coming from an attempt to get closer and more connected. Fundamentally, yeah, underneath all of them, every single one of them is an attempt to get that need for safety and connection met. Which makes sense because, mm-hmm. you know, I've thought in times where I've pushed somebody away or I, somebody has pushed me away, mm-hmm. I can see past it Yeah, to say like, it's a, it's a cry for connection. That's right. And that's, that's a hard place to get to for most of us. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, in moments of, of uh, real intensity inside of myself, I still have difficulty at times where I'm just like, oh man, does this person, I know psychologically that this, this is what this is about, but God, this, this doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Right. And so as we get better at noticing this, we become more aware of this. We can also, start to become aware of what the need is, right? So it's a need for connection, but there's some other need in between. And Marshall Rosenberg's work with Mm. nonviolent communication really points towards this. And it's more than just the framework of nonviolent communication, but just all of his work looks at what is the need underneath the behavior, Mm. 
right? And as we get to know, especially in partnership, any kind of partnership, any friendship, partnership, business, romantic, it doesn't really matter. Underneath it all, like what is the need that's unmet right now? And if I, on the other side of the person who's feeling activated, can pinpoint that need, then I can potentially help to meet that need so that the system calms down. Mm. Emotions are usually just signaling that's ha- that's happening. You know, like the emotion says, "Oh, I'm not. I need something. Mm. I need something. I need something." And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until I get that need met. But if if we, the other partner, the partner that's not upset, can pinpoint what that need is for the other, maybe sometimes we can provide that, mm-hmm. and then clear communication really helps us, especially when we're not triggered. Like, what did you need there? Mm-hmm. I just needed reassurance. How did you need that reassurance? What could I have done that would have helped you to feel reassured? Well, I needed you to remind me that you were going to be here, that you weren't going to leave, or I, I needed you to remind me that you cared, mm-hmm. or whatever it might be, right? I needed you to tell me you were going to take out the trash. It's not about the trash. It's about, I want to know that I'm safe here, that you care about me, that you love me Mm -hmm. and that I can let go and and not try to control everything. And we all have different ways that we interpret that based on behavior Mm. or based on words. Mm -hmm. That's a common one in relationship where, um, and I'm going to gender, gender stereotype for a moment, but where, mm-hmm. where the woman needs the man to do certain things because in doing those things, that helps her to feel safe and cared for. But in, in the perception, well, it's not even feeling safe and cared for. It's feeling safe, but perceiving care. Mm-hmm. Right? right. In the perception of that care, she can relax. She doesn't have to control. The control is an attempt to create safety. Mm-hmm. And when he does these particular things, she settles inside of herself. Mm. Most men don't realize that that's what that's about. Mm. Most men just think that they're being nagged mm-hmm. by their partner to do these things that for a man, just I can just keep going about my day and I don't even think about these things. Why, why does this matter? But inside of her, it's taking up all this real estate. Mm. These things do matter to her, but it doesn't have anything to do with the thing. It has to do with that felt sense of safety. The safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, can I trust my partner to take care of me? Mm-hmm. Right? Because I'm, I'm, t- I'm thinking about all these things. And, and if he's not, well, yeah, maybe I can't trust him. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can't build something more together. And that's just one example using right. a gender stereotype. Right. Yeah. You touched on, and I want to bring it back to the, we need each other. Because in the world of instatherapy, <laughs> right it's uh the mm, evolution of i'm a strong independent woman i don't need a man but it's now gone to hyper independence of self-love and need nothing from others and meet yeah. every need yourself and um so i guess just open talk on that because i know you have some things to say in yeah. previous conversations we've talked about it yeah you know Independence is um, an important part of development. Mm-hmm. I think many of us nowadays have we're, we missed out on that that part of development where we got to push away yeah. and that somebody was still safely there with us. Yeah. So we 
glamorize hyper-independence as if that's the best way. That's the way. Mm. But we all need other, right? So there's this fundamental biological need for community. Mm-hmm. Without community, without other, I die as an organism. It doesn't mean that I, I can't be independent. It's a both and, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's uh, where do I stop? And you begin, right? And, uh, recognizing my boundaries, recognizing where my container is, and knowing that I can be self-sufficient, and some of that self-sufficiency is also being able to ask for support, mm. right? It, it is self-sufficient to say, "I need help. I need. I have a need." But so many of us, hyperindependence is a strategy for like protecting ourselves from feeling the pain of not having the need met. Wow. Right. And it's like, well, if I just do me, then I will never have to be disappointed. I'll never have to feel sad. I'll never have to feel whatever it might be scared or alone, mm-hmm. lonely. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and when I learn how to, to reach out for support and I pick the person that can meet me in that, then that starts to heal that that wounding that took place whenever at whatever time that, that took place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this um this glamorizing of that is just another strategy, I think, to 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 get our needs met for safety, mm-hmm. the safety, dignity, and belonging. In my model, are the foundation, like the three core human needs that we have, um, and I think everything else stems from those particular points so talk more on that because i know in our work and the work that mm-hmm. i've done with you i guess safety is a big one mm-hmm. um, well there's a biological drive for safety so it's move towards safety move away from threat mm-hmm. um dignity right and belonging are pretty interconnected but dignity is that there's there's uh, what we call healthy shame which is that which keeps us um from like integral to morals? Almost. Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. It, it's it's the healthy response to something that's socially unaccept, uh, unacceptable. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, from a tribal sense, it's like, uh, I'm not going to just go hit someone for no reason. And I do that, that's not good for the tribe. It's not good for the community. Mm-hmm. And so there's an element of healthy shame where I feel a little bit of ashamed about that. Like, oh, I just did something wrong. And maybe maybe we might even call it guilt because it's not that I am wrong, but it, it, it doesn't last long. I don't get stuck in it. Mm. It helps me to adjust my behavior, right? So that would be the dignity element. Like I'm retaining my sense of dignity here, mm-hmm. right? Belonging is, again, all, all of these tie to safety because belonging, you know, while I have that sense of belonging to community, I am safe. Mm. I can get my needs met. Mm-hmm. And... So while they while we use these three, they they really kind of come down to that one fundamental, which is safety. Um, and as an organism, you know, we're constantly referencing our environment. We're scanning it. We're taking in sensory information. And in relationship, it's the same kind of thing. Like, am I safe to share myself here? 
Mm-hmm. What happens when I do? If I do share myself, am I accepted? Do I belong? A question I get asked a lot is how do I know that I can open or how do I know to pick the right person or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever what they're really saying is how do I know that I'm safe to open? That's right. Um, how would you answer that? Yeah, it's different for all of us. How do mm-hmm. I know? How do I know that I've had enough water? <laughs> how do I know that I'm full? Um, there's a way that we do know and can the person that I'm being with, do they have the capacity? Like, can I can I tell if they have the capacity to meet me in that? Like, do they have the internal ability? Do they have the psychological capacity? Can Do they have a, a history of giving, like uh, saying the things that I need to hear, so mm-hmm. to speak, you know, being kind, being empathetic? Mm-hmm. Um, because if they don't, it's okay that they don't. It's not that there's something wrong with them. It's that I need to choose somebody that can do those things. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what I'm doing is I'm setting myself up to have the very thing that I'm afraid of happen. Mm-hmm. And, and many people choose partners where that's the case. How come? Yeah, well, maybe they didn't have a model. Yeah. Right? A model for that safe connection. Mm-hmm. So monkey see, monkey do. Right. A little bit. Essentially. Yeah. <laughs> In, in many ways, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So how can people start to find that sense for themselves of understanding and have, to have that discernment? Because mm-hmm. a lot of our conversation so far, I feel, has been understanding the frameworks of things. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily need to go over trauma or things like that. You can go to Instagram and find tons of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we probably, you listening, know why certain things are happening. Um, this framework's been helpful, but now... I'm curious and moving the conversation to how do we reform mm-hmm. into a more safe, mm-hmm. connected, dignified mm-hmm. state of being. Yeah. We've got to understand where we are. A good analogy mm-hmm. that I, I like mm-hmm. to use is if I'm using some sort of mapping software, um, like, a, like if I'm going to drive from where we are right now, to the grocery store, but I am not familiar with my environment. Um, I'm going to take out my cell phone and I'm going to use the map, probably Google Maps or Apple Maps, whatever it might be. Right. I have to choose a destination, right? Mm-hmm. I need to know where I'm going. But before I can get to where I'm going, I need to know where I am starting. Mm-hmm. So to begin how do I start changing my, my shape or, or reforming, creating a new form? I need to have a sense of where I'm going. But more importantly than, a, than a where I'm going, I, I need to know where I'm beginning. Mm-hmm. And that's where, that's where I start with everyone. Where am I? And, and it's not really necessarily where am I, but what am I? Mm. Who am I? What are my responses? How am I, how am I being? How do I respond to the world? So we begin with self-awareness, mm-hmm. right? really uncovering like what are my responses and can I be with them with curiosity? Mm-hmm. Many of us can't. It's huge. Yeah. Instead of shame. Exactly. Or, yeah. Yeah. Like self-judgment turns into shame, which then gets in the way. It works as a barrier between us and really noticing ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Shame about all sorts of things. And then I'm not, then I'm turning away from it mm-hmm. because it's painful. It's uncomfortable. So step one is to become aware. 
We, we need to understand what we're doing, be able to notice it. Mm-hmm. This is my response when I'm stressed. This is my response when I'm triggered. This is my response when I need to be loved, mm-hmm. right? And then from that point, how do I do what I do? Mm-hmm. How do I stimulate myself to get upset? Do I make pictures in my mind about what I imagine might happen? Do I tighten my muscles? What are, what's the sequence inside my body that takes place when I'm getting ready to get upset or when it's happening? Mm-hmm. Can I notice that sequence? Right? And then from there, understanding how I do what I do in response to the situation, then I start to understand how I can interrupt the pattern. Mm-hmm. Right? But we got to start with awareness first. Everything comes down to self-awareness in the beginning. And then from that place of self-awareness, we can begin to interrupt the pattern mm-hmm. and create a new one. Our bodies are so intelligent. Yeah. We can, the, a new pattern will emerge mm-hmm. as we get to know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like when I understand that we could use this with movement patterns, if I'm if I'm exercising and I'm not watching myself exercise, I can think I'm doing the the movement in a you know in a way that's really good for my body. But if I then have a mirror in front of me and I watch myself do it, I can look at myself and go, "Oh my god, that just I, I think I need to do it differently." <laughs> yeah. Right now, I can see another person do it, and that gives me even more referencing. Right. right? So now I, I'm bringing in three layers, right? Mm. <laughs> like I'm aware of my internal experience. I'm aware of what I look like. So now I have a mirror so I can see myself. And then I also have other that I can reference against. Mm. And so this, this process of becoming aware of ourselves works really well when we have another person to reflect us to us. Right. right? Which is helpful, the, mm-hmm. the healthy models. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then understanding what, what we could do differently starts to emerge on its own. It's like, oh, actually this feels better to move my body this way. That's what's most natural. Now I'm getting to know it. And, the, and our body starts to respond in a way that's, that's more generative. Mm-hmm. In changing form, in, we also get to relate to others in new ways. Mm-hmm. Having it be, again, on the same topic of an unobstructed view of the person Mm -hmm. and seeing them for who they are and not a story that we put on them or about them or about some, somebody from our past. Mm -hmm. The whole notion of um, treating them like your ex, for example, or. Yeah. So much of that's a reflex too. It's like, Mm -hmm. this is what somebody else did to me. I still remember it. I haven't healed from it. I haven't let it go. I haven't, I haven't processed it going. And. I guess the process of that you're saying is starting with being aware that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in a relational sense, what are some things people can do for um, pattern interrupts mm. to once they note it, notice it? Cause that's something that comes to me a lot from people on Instagram is they say mm. they know they're codependent or they know that they're some, mm. they know the things are happening. It still happens, but they're shaming themselves for it happening. Yeah. Number one, um, yeah, what would you say in, in your lens of things? I would say if if we're talking about in partnership, 
that that would be a uh, both partners what we wanted to do is invite both people to participate in in noticing mm. um my previous partner ariana and i had this saying somebody's got to be the neocortex in the room <laughs> and what we mean is you know during conflict when conflict comes up or when i feel triggered or when somebody else or when my partner feels triggered one of us um, needs to be rational mm. so our rational thinking goes out the window when we're emotionally charged and there's um, brain science behind how this works. The blood flow is diverted from our thinking part of our mind to our emotional part of our mind. Wow. Um, and that's to help protect us from threat, right? Again, it's to keep it's us alive. And yeah, healthy it's, it's, and, yeah, exactly. It's normal and healthy and, and all of those things. And so somebody has to be the rational thinking individual in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, we're just two bundles of emotional responses that are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger because we're referencing threat, 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 bigger, 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 right? So the pattern interrupt would be, oh, I'm noticing this thing's happening. What do we need right now? Mm. What do we need? Do, do we need to step away from each other? Do we need to take a pause? Do we need to breathe together? There are lots of different things that we can do inside a couple a coupleship where we can we can slow things down we can take a pause, we can breathe, we can walk, we can move, we can do all sorts of different things to interrupt the cycle of activation. Mm-hmm. Because that's what we, more than anything, that's what we want to do. We want to interrupt the emotional upregulation, so to speak, right. so that it doesn't take over. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as that's interrupted, we can, we can start to feel better and we can make sense of what we need. Mm-hmm. And then we can get our need met. And using the nonviolent communication framework or Marshall Rosenberg's framework, we can identify that. We can communicate about it in a way that that prevents defensiveness. Mm. That's the whole model. It's like, well, if I make accusations of you doing something to me, your response is to defend yourself because immediately you're analyzing yourself. Was I doing it for that reason? Right? Well, now what happened? We're no longer talking about the thing anymore. We're debating whether something happened or didn't happen instead of talking about what's going on underneath. Mm-hmm. And the thing going on underneath is I'm feeling scared. I'm, I'm, I need to be close or I need a little space so that I can recover from this feeling of fear. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know how to ask for it. And so I'm telling you that all the things that you're doing that are making me feel this way instead of me communicating to you, I'm feeling all these things inside. Could you do this for me? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and when we, when we get better at those, the, that kind of communication, what can happen is we interrupt the pattern of activation. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. expressing like what you're feeling, yeah, and just having it be that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling scared right now. That was a big thing in our work mm-hmm. that you helped me realize. Mm-hmm. Um, for everybody tuning in, I would you know I had a few moments where I was my mind was running. And you're mm-hmm. like, Kevin, what do you feel right now? Mm-hmm. Fuck, I'm scared. Is this, that, the other, da, 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 da. Anyway, yeah. but just, what if you were to just say you're scared and let, like, be with that? Yeah. And that made a difference, a really big impact, and has affected my communication and my self-awareness and understanding even more what I need because mm-hmm. I understand what I feel. Yeah. Yeah. 
when we understand ourselves, we can get our needs met, right? Mm -hmm. And then we know what to ask for. We know who we can ask, you know, who we can ask for it from. Hopefully, yeah, you know, in, in time we 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 can figure those things out, right? But if I don't know what's going on inside of me, there's no way I can get my needs met. Mm. There's no way I even know what to ask for. Mm. So again, we come back to that first step. The first step is what's happening mm. inside of me. What am I noticing inside? And and we can differentiate um, in the training that I run. We differentiate between sensations and emotions. Yeah, huge. And we make the distinction between a sensation and an emotion and, and a thought. Right? Well, when I say feeling, most of the time in our, in our culture, what we're referencing is a thought. Explain. I feel For that people. you just did this, that, and the other thing. Ah, uh, yeah. I feel that you're going to go do this, blah, 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 blah. That's a thought. Mm. I feel like you... You know, anytime that word "you" comes into the sentence, no, and and I feel I feel that you, yeah, I feel that you, yeah, I think <laughs> that's all that is. Yeah, <laughs> that's an interpretation, and so mm-hmm. this um, what we want to be able to do is just is create distinction with our own experience. Like when I say I feel, I might be talking about a sensation. I feel warm. I feel sad. Well, what's the difference? How do I, I, I'm not really clearly defining the difference with my words. So again, I want to bring more distinction. Mm-hmm. I, I'm aware of sensations inside my body and I'm experiencing an emotional state. We always have emotions that are happening. It's just they're happening under the surface and we're not noticing them. Mm-hmm. And then there are thoughts and thoughts live on top of all of that. And so bringing distinction to these things again is an entry point for awareness. Now I can communicate with my partner. Oh man, I'm really tight right now in my body. I'm, my breathing has changed. Uh, you know, my heart rate's really elevated mm. and I'm scared and I'm angry and I'm sad. And I really need some reassurance. Ooh, let's, let's touch on for a second, sitting with it and not manically trying to fix things. Mm. Yeah, that's, man. that's coming up for me right now. Because uh, that I think used to be me, and I mm. and there's a lot of people. Um, yeah, like fix it now, and oh, yeah. don't feel this way. Change your state, yep. or spiritually bypass, or whatever the thing is. But what you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like well, it, I appreciate what you're pointing to, man. It's feelings are bad. When feelings are quote unquote bad, we must change them. Right, or if it's uncomfortable, or mm-hmm. whatever, not yeah. And I only do things when it feels good. Good vibes only. Good vibes only. <laughs> Follow the bliss. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> that's a misinterpretation uh, of Joseph Campbell's works too. You know, follow your bliss. Mm. It's not that you know we only turn towards good and turn away from bad. Now, instinctively, I think we move away from that which is uncomfortable. Yet. The, the real training is in being able to be with what we're experiencing without trying to change it. Now, from early, early life on, we train our young to distrust their internal emotional experiences and to control their emotional reactions to situations. Some of this self-control is really useful for us. We learn self-regulation techniques. Now, in the process of this, many of us 
learn to suppress our emotions Mm -hmm. instead of to experience them and let them move through and trust them Mm -hmm. as conveyors of information. Right. And then we learn that we're responsible for other emo, other people's emotions. So mm-hmm. you and I, let's say you and I are children mm-hmm. and we're growing up and we're friends and I do something and you get sad or you get scared. Mm-hmm. And my mom tells me that I need to, to say I'm sorry to Kevin because Kevin's upset. Now what happens there inside of me is... I begin to learn that I'm responsible for your emotional reaction. I'm responsible Mm. for your state. Now, I just created that inside of you. Mm. So now my belief structure about the world is that I can make you feel a certain way. Mm. And it's hard for us to unwind our belief structure around this. Like This is a really difficult one for people. I made you feel. You made me feel. It's so embedded in our culture mm. that common language includes this everywhere. I didn't make you feel anything. The feeling is generated inside of you. That was your response to what I did. Mm. Now I'm still responsible for my actions and my behaviors and the response. I mean, and the and the impact that that had yeah. for you. Yet mm. I didn't make you feel, and that's that real subtle distinction mm. of. The emotion's happening inside of you. And when I learned that the emotion's happening inside of me, I then learned that I can do something. I can be with the emotion. But as soon as I blame you for my emotion, I'm now looking to you to make it stop. Wow. Right now I'm now looking to to the world to to make me feel better. Mm -hmm. Instead of learning how to be with myself instead of learning how to be with my emotions, mm-hmm. right? Instead of, well, the learning to be with the emotions piece helps us to, to learn that emotions aren't scary. They're not bad. They're not going to destroy us. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not going to take me over. Um, I just think it's a fear that people have, especially with absolutely. big emotions. Oh my God. Yes. Sadness, anger, all, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, pain in general. So in this, in this way that we train ourselves, what ends up happening is, you know, again, I have no capacity for self-regulation. I have, there's no way that I can know to take care of myself. So I look to the world to do it for me. Mm. Right. And, And that means that I'm going to do everything I can to avoid feeling quote unquote bad. Mm. So I'm going to suppress my awareness of it. I'm going to use social media. I'm going to use work. I'm going to use sex. I'm going to use feel good things to stimulate more feeling good when I'm feeling bad. Right. And we're labeling these things good and bad. And we're labeling them that way because we don't have the resources to be with them. We've never been taught. Mm. Our world didn't educate us. Oh, you're feeling sad right now. Yeah, it's okay to feel sad. Yeah, it is sad right now, isn't it? Yeah, it is sad. Oh, and the tears happen and then they're gone. Oh, oh, I'm not sad anymore. Great, you're not sad anymore. Now you just learn to trust that your sadness is okay. It's valid. Wow. But most of us don't trust that. It's like, I'm sad right now. Of course you're sad right now. 
Oh, of course I'm sad. Oh, that's, that's normal. Well, no one ever told me it was normal for me to feel sad. But it's just so stupid. There's a self-judgment. There's an attempt to stop the feeling sad. Mm, right? Trying to make sense of it all. Right, exactly. And that's a useful strategy. That's one that we learn. We learn more strategies to avoid it than to be with, be it. with it. Yeah, exactly. So being with it, when we can be with it without forcing it, without making it bigger, and without stopping it mm. it happens and it it comes and it goes like a wave that was one that i had to learn i, I recognized that i was making him bigger yeah um and i think i see a lot of that in the yeah. spiritual community more so than the personal development industry mm-hmm. uh, could you touch on that and kind of color that out spend a little bit more time talking about that so people yeah. can have to be aware if it's happening or not yeah the um when we've been suppressing our emotions or repressing our emotions for a long period of time, one of the ways that we might do something different is by going into expressing them a lot more. And so the pendulum swings from a lack of expression to overexpression. Mm. And so then we might formulate the belief that that is the answer. Because mm. repression is quote-unquote bad, expression must be good, right? Now, it's so nuanced, right? It's, it, it's, it's very nuanced here. So expressing can be useful. Feeling, being with ourselves without making it do anything, that's where the magic is, right? Mm-hmm. Allowing it to happen means that there is an expression of it. Mm-hmm doesn't necessarily mean that there needs to be this big cathartic i'm beating pillows or i'm stomping around or i'm screaming now some people have been really really repressed and so they need to yell a little bit and that doesn't that's not equal to healing or integration right what we really want is that middle ground where it's i'm feeling sad so i allow myself to cry the tears last a few moments a couple breaths and then they pass I don't go back into the thought or back into the imagination. I don't go back into the experience inside myself to stimulate it to get bigger. It's like not, not like wallowing in it. Correct, yes. I have learned that I have the ability to allow it to happen and let that be enough because that's all that it was needed. Mm-hmm. How does that pan out with something like grief? Because it's something that I'm experiencing with the death mm-hmm. of my father. Yeah. Right? Like, because grief is a process comes in waves that's right so you know in my language with my clients i say you know go to it to go through it but sit with it enough and then know when to pull yourself out don't wallow in it yeah um when when do you know that it's you're not making it bigger than it is Mm. um grief is a different thing you know mm, um can can I allow myself to feel without stimulating it to be bigger while also without stopping it from happening? Mm. It's a fine balance, I feel. It is, yeah. And I think we're gonna yeah, we're gonna <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we're gonna and we're gonna kind of feel our way through that, right? Mm. 
It's, uh, I think about a memory and I'm hit with a wave of sadness. Right? That wave of sadness comes and I start to resist it. And so I'm tightening around it. Oh, I don't have space. Oh, I can't do that right now. No, I, no, it's going to be too much. Now I'm in my, now I'm, I have thoughts about it too. And instead of that, if I could have a memory, notice the emotion, allow the emotion to come, continue having the memory, feel the depth of that, and then wait for my body to respond. And like a wave, tears will come. And if I don't continue to hang on tightly to that memory, like a breath, I'll breathe out. And my body will will soften. Now what oftentimes happens is that that feeling is connecting me to that memory. And I want to feel connected to that memory. Wow. Mm. So I may stay in that feeling for longer. For a sense of connection. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, in a way. Mm-hmm. A sense of connection. It's the longing. Wow. It's the, the wanting to be with. Mm-hmm. And all of that I think is normal. Right? And just giving ourselves that space. Letting ourselves lean into that. Letting ourselves feel it. And then letting it be enough for now, coming back to the world, going back into the world, doing living. And next time it comes, allowing it to wash through us again, letting ourselves feel angry, ambivalent, letting ourselves, whatever it might be that we need, it's, the, it's just that little subtle distinction of not getting lost in it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes maybe we let ourselves get lost in it. We spend a few hours just really deeply feeling mm. because that can be helpful. Right? The, the remembering, what we want more than anything is to be able to remember the sweetness and feel the sadness and the longing that mm. comes with it. Mm. Mm. But without it having to be um, coupled or connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think shifting your awareness to the sensations and taking it off of the memory. Mm-hmm. That can be that, helpful. Would that help? Yeah, that can be really helpful. But yeah, it's, uh, I mean, oftentimes the memory might be the stimulus, right, for the emotional response. And then the emotions happen. And if we can disconnect from the images for a few moments and be with our body and let our body do what it's doing, mm-hmm. when we come back to the images, they may not be as charged. Because you've processed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. some of the processings happen. But sometimes we'll get stuck in the like seesaw, the wave of emotion back into the image, wave of emotion back into the image, wave of emotion back into the image, and it goes back and forth and back and forth. And it's not that that's bad. Mm-hmm. It's that after a period of time, it becomes overwhelming for our body. Yeah. And sometimes we mm-hmm. need to be in that, right? Mm-hmm. And then knowing that we can modulate that by taking our, our awareness and bringing it back to this present moment. Mm-hmm. In this present moment, I'm experiencing an emotion. And this is what it's like inside my body to experience that emotion. And if I look around where I am, uh, my body will begin to breathe differently. Mm-hmm. 
And I can be back in this moment. In this moment, unless we're in a threatening environment, the environment that we're in is pretty still. You know, yeah. It's just a just an environment. We're sitting in my living room right now. And mm-hmm. There's a lot of stillness. I mean, there's movement outside because of the wind here in Austin, Texas. It's uh, The weather shifted pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, there's relative stillness. Yeah. And, and it's my perception that generates that experience of there's so much going on right now. No. Maybe there are a lot of thoughts. Maybe there are a lot of sensations. Maybe there are a lot of emotions that are happening inside of me still. But so much going on that's happening in me, it's not in the world. Mm. The big one. Mm-hmm. Having that discernment. Yeah. Mm. I don't have any really questions. Any more questions on that? What 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 else is is coming up for you recently? What what are you studying? What are you diving into now? Because mm. I see you as somebody who's always researching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm in the process of really refining my work right now. So I guess the thing that's most on my heart right at the moment is um, the refining of my own process. Mm. Um, as a practitioner Um, and I have founded a company called formative somatics Mm -hmm. and what I do with my work is this exploration of forming like we're Mm -hmm. talking about this the formation of thought the formation of emotion the formation of of our body shape the way that we are in the world and then the exploration of how we um, play with or dance with that form, creating new shapes, um, reorganizing ourselves and things like that. And so that, that's been the thing that's been really of, of peak interest for me right at the moment. And that and the training that mm-hmm. I'm running with, yeah. uh, with Ariana, trauma and somatics, which is growing. Mm-hmm. We just began doing an, we're doing an advanced training. Actually, you're finding out for the first time right now. Heck yeah. yeah. (laughs) Count me in. Cool. Yeah. It's starting Uh at the end of this month or the beginning of next month, I think. Oh, wow. So soon. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's awesome. Five months um, is what we're starting with right now, but it's going to be a a level two of sorts Mm. where we're doing a real deep dive for graduates of trauma somatics. And for anybody who, is listening who's a practitioner of any sort, a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't say enough good things about trauma and somatics. Mm-hmm. Um, I, went, I was part of the beta mm-hmm. round and it changed the way that I relate to people and it refined my work by giving me a completely different set of glasses in which to view what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because before I had all the mindset stuff um, and realizing now that that in my, in my belief is only like 20% of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, after seeing this work, I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a deep dive into what trauma is and how to be trauma informed in our work. And then it's a deeper dive into somatics, which is just our living wholeness. Mm-hmm. 
right? And man, when we think about ourselves, when we hold the greater context of, hum, of, of a human being, as a, any kind of practitioner, it doesn't matter what kind of practitioner we are, but when we hold that greater context, oh my gosh, what we are, the way that we can be supportive is so different. Mm. Oh my God, so different. Well, you're understanding the needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we blend in all different things. So, we're, you know, you and I today touched on attachment dynamics and, um, you know, relational dynamics and uh, kind of the edge of polyvagal theory, which is the science of safety, mm-hmm. even though we weren't getting super technical about this stuff. But uh, you know, all these different pieces are parts of the whole of us as humans. And so as we learn more about them, I mean, even... You know, we don't have to be a practitioner to learn these things and get benefit from it, right? You know, right. I'm a human. I want to know what it's what it is to be human, yeah. just to better understand my humanity. Mm-hmm. In understanding my humanness, I I understand your humanness. Mm-hmm. I can be connected to you in a different way now because I'm connected to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that understanding, man, it just changes life. Mm-hmm. It makes everything makes more make more sense. Like with everything going on in the world right now, it's 2022, January of 2022. And with everything going on in the world right now, it's hard to understand for most of us. Most of you listening, it's really hard to understand. But with this lens, with a greater understanding of what it is to be human, everything that's going on makes sense to me. Mm. We're all scared. (laughs) And we're, we're responding through that fear in really intelligent ways. Are they the most generative for us? No. But they definitely make sense. It gives a, a, a realm to make, make sense of it all. Mm-hmm, yeah. You can see that now. Yeah. 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 You know, that's the thing I always say. Um, healing happens in connection. And healing happens across time. Mm-hmm. We all need each other. Um, and this like this uh, hyper independence uh, prevents us from um, really truly connecting with it, with each other, and that, and that lack of connection continues to to stimulate and foster more fear mm-hmm. and more pushing away from other. And the more we push away from other, the more we need other, and the more afraid we become. Mm-hmm. The more we try to create more strategies for feeling safe without other. Mm-hmm. There's a certain world of belief around bad emotions mm-hmm. to bring it that, that like fear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we're talking about this, the word fearless comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, and how it's almost like virtuous to not feel any negative emotions right, yeah, in certain, it's certain realms. Um, I think being fearless is dangerous, Kevin, because mm. um, fear is healthy. If I don't have fear, then I don't have a reference point for what will and won't harm me. You have a distorted relationship with, with danger. With danger, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, And I'm going to probably put myself in danger. More than more often than not, if you're being fearless, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, fear is really helpful. It's the distinction between fearlessness and courageousness. You know, mm-hmm. to be courage is to feel fear and to be able to be with it. To be the master of the fear isn't to suppress it; it's to be able to feel it. 
um, in the movie Dune or the book Dune, there's a section in the very beginning where he's experiencing pain. And the staying with the pain, the being with the pain, the mastering of the pain, isn't a matter of separating yourself from the pain. It's a matter of being willing to experience the pain and knowing that you're going to be okay, Mm. that you're going to get through it, Mm. right? We often think that mastering our fear is suppressing it. Or changing your perspective. Or changing our perspective, right, exactly. Mm. Instead, it, it would I would say it's being able to be scared, being able to be it. I'm feeling fear right now, and here I am feeling scared. Right? And is this a threatening situation? And having that discernment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then being able yeah. to, to help my, my animal body discern, oh, is this threatening? Right? And that's where the thinking mind can be really useful. Mm-hmm. Is it threatening or is it a memory of past because I got triggered? or Exactly, yeah. And most of the time, it's a, it's a memory of the past. There's very little in the modern world that's actually all that threatening to us. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of what we're worried about or scared about or fearful mm-hmm. is relational things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, lot exactly. of th- a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so much more of that nowadays. And we're so much more disconnected. So you know, there's that room for, for improving that. For moving, f- moving forward, and let's talk theory for a second. Um, the biology of humanity hasn't caught up to where our modern times, mm-hmm. um, which I think is why those triggers um, from dysregulated systems are going and focusing on the um, relational dynamics as much. Mm-hmm. Would that be accurate to say in your in your belief? Yeah, I guess so. It, it, our process of domestication is flawed in that it um, it turns us into creatures who have trauma, right? The lingering memory, the mm. response, the reactions to um, stress, and. We're not bringing consciousness to the process of domestication, I guess is what I want to point to here. Mm. And in that, what happens, what's happened is technology has advanced significantly and we're not fully adapting yet to that advancement um, mm. as, as a species. Mm-hmm. I, at least I, I don't think we are, just because of the no. speed at which we're adapting. I mean, yeah. uh, growing mm-hmm. um, technologically, rather. And what I see is that we need to become active participants in this um, as opposed to passive um, bystanders. And how does that look? Well, I created a, a foundation to begin doing some research into this mm. called the Truth Foundation. And our mission is you know, to, to discover that about humanity, wow. to end trauma. To, and in order to do that, we got to get ahead of it. There are lots and lots and lots and lots of people around our planet that are working on addressing the symptoms of this. Right? Yeah. And yeah. I think we need to get ahead of it and stop the, the thing from happening. 
But that's going to require probably the greatest research that's ever been done in history um, into how we become what we are right now. So again, kind of circling back to that philosophy that I have about how do we change? We have to know where we're beginning. Mm-hmm. And so our our beginning stage of this, the first phase of this is research and development uh, or research. Um, and that research is, 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 a, is around like, how do we as human beings create ourselves right now? What's the process of domestication? Mm-hmm. How do we do that? And every culture is a little bit different, but there's there are elements of sameness. And so we're in the beginning phases of just getting into that research because we we want humanity to live on. Mm-hmm. We don't want to destroy ourselves. Mm-hmm. And in order to do something about that, we need to understand how we got to where we are, how we are where we are, not by studying history, <laughs> but by studying this present moment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's through understanding, I think, that, that that's where we begin to be able to say, well, okay, this, this is all the data on how we're doing this to ourselves. Now, it's, it's a part of us. Yeah. You know, it's a part of our DNA. Mm-hmm. I respond to the world the way that I do because my family responded to the world the way that it did and so on and so forth back for so many thousands of years. Right. You know, generation upon generation upon generation, these patterns have just been like, becoming a part of me. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great because that means I can survive in my environment. Mm-hmm. And it's also not great because that means that I'm also not really fully alive. I'm not aware of my aliveness. Maybe that's a, a more accurate way of, of stating yeah. it because I am alive. I'm just not aware of right. my aliveness in the same way. And so it's moving into that state as a collective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to see that happen for us. Mm-hmm. What could we do differently? to get ahead of this? What could we do differently with our young? Big one. Yeah. That was the quote. It was um, easier to raise a boy than it is to turn a broken man and, or to teach a broken man. Mm. Something, something along the lines of that. I'm butchering the quote. Mm-hmm. But it was basically saying it's, it's if we want to make, do something, especially I think the, it was talking about masculinity, mm-hmm. like father, children, don't try to change the men. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's interesting because I think it's a both and, and it is, yeah, and it is the changing the future is, is, is definitely, it requires, um, us to change the, the way that children relate with the world. And it's bringing it to the beginning of forming and how we mm-hmm. formed. That's right. Exactly. And in order to do that, we've got to be the parents that can parent the child in a way that changes the, ch- the way the child parents their child children. Right. So then it's both mm-hmm. chicken, egg. It's, it's both at the same time, mm-hmm. because if I'm not the man that can parent my child in a way that, that encourages connection to emotion, that stops the repression. If I'm not a man who can love his partner and model what loving, caring relational dynamics look like, mm-hmm. then my child will not learn those things. I can learn all the theory in the world, but if I'm not embodying it, if I'm not doing it, if I'm not behaving it, then nothing will happen. It doesn't translate, right? Right. right so there's a learning that has to happen amongst the adults while also the, the, that has to filter into the, the young. Mm-hmm. And 
and it'll take many different generations for this to you know breed into us so to speak right but yeah it's powerful work yeah that's where it brings it back to accountability with ourselves yeah it does and with each other yeah right yeah so i'm a I'm first and foremost, I'm accountable to, to taking a look at myself, to becoming aware of myself. And from there, I can be with you. Mm. And in the being with you, I'm helping me. Mm. And in, in the being with me, you're helping you. <laughs> right? And me. Right. Right. So then the... in that symbiotic way, we're continuing the evolution of the growth cycle. Right. And it becomes a, a, a positive feedback loop, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And the connection, and the drive, and I think mm-hmm. reconnecting in many ways from where we are in modern times mm-hmm. uh, with disconnection. I mean, you know, I you go on and on with disconnecting about our food and souls in our shoes from the earth and oh, yeah. other sorts of disconnection, but relationally, tribally to each other. Mm-hmm. We're in an interesting paradox right now where, you know, people are tuning in, listening to us having a conversation that was recorded and they could be anywhere in the world mm-hmm. that's that is some level of connection mm-hmm. and yet so many people are feeling alone yeah and isolated um yeah i know we are the most connected and the most disconnected we've ever been in history mm-hmm. the information travels and you know the speed of light across the whole planet mm-hmm. i can send out information anywhere and i can connect virtually with people anywhere almost anywhere on the planet almost mm-hmm. yet at the same time we have fewer relationships in the real world and less connection to others especially intimate connection what are your thoughts on the metaverse the natural progression yeah yeah there will be many of them i imagine as there, I think there already are. Um, mm-hmm. Just like with the internet, mm-hmm. it's just the natural progression of uh, growth that's happening, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there will be a lot of good, a lot of ways that it's used for good, and there will be a lot of ways that it disconnects us further from ourselves and from each other. Yeah, And that's just a byproduct. Again, this is just a symptom of the sickness that, that we're living with as a species. Of... I think the sickness stems from trauma, yeah. which is a disconnection from ourselves, a fracturing of ourselves. Like the fragmentation of the psyche or the, the disconnection of myself and me from my body, that's all a result of some sort of trauma. Yeah. And again, that comes from the way that we domesticate ourselves. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying, I'm posing the problem, but I don't have a solution, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we all need to take a look at that problem and go, oh, man. There's the problem. Let's look at it. What do we do? Mm-hmm. What do we do? Because we can address all the symptoms with the symptoms addressing them. It's we're not we're not fixing the problem. Could you expand on that um, addressing the symptoms? Because you said there's many people out there doing many things addressing mm-hmm. the symptoms. Could you give some examples? Well, I'm addressing symptoms in my work even. Mm. Uh, you think building wells for clean water that addresses symptoms. I mean, maybe that's. Not quite exactly it, but um, you're talking like foundationally, structurally in the world. Everything, or are you? Think, okay, yeah. I mean, it, I'm like systems. 
I'm overconnecting maybe okay um, the dots here, but I guess what I'm pointing at is. Some of the symptoms might be the way that we are in relationship to the environment. Our relationship with our environment reflects how disconnected we are from ourselves. Mm. When we're connected to our bodies, when we're connected to our experience of aliveness, there's no reason for us to harm our environment. When I, If I'm harming you, it's because I'm disconnected from me. And I'm afraid, I'm disconnected from my fear, I'm lashing out because I'm trying to write. Again, I'm, I'm seeking some sense of safety. Mm. But I'm disconnected from what's going on inside of me, so I, I'm lashing out at you. But as I become more sensitive to myself and to the world around me, I can't lash out at you. Mm. It's just like I'm not capable of that kind of harm, that level of harm anymore. Mm-hmm. But again, why am I disconnected from me? Because mm. being with me is too much. Mm. Why is being with me too much? Because I have uh, so many living memories of the too muchness that I lived with mm. or lived through. Mm-hmm. because I didn't learn how to process those experiences. Mm-hmm. So they live on inside of me and they turn into the ways, again, symptoms of this, this problem. Um, abuse, war, torture, all sorts of things. Right? All of these things are symptoms of the fracturing of the self. Mm-hmm. Again, so when we come into wholeness inside of ourselves, that coming into wholeness translates into more of a wholeness in the world, an acceptance of other Mm-hmm. because I accept myself. Well, why do people not accept other? Because they're trained to not accept other. A human in its natural, most natural state accepts. There's no yeah. reason. Yeah. There's no reason not to unless there's a threat. Right? But everything else is encultured into us. Mm-hmm. I mean, as an American, I'm taught certain countries are dangerous, certain people may want to harm me and that creates a frame of reference for me inside the world my perception of the world is the way i've been trained to perceive the world if i grew up in saudi arabia my perception of the world would be completely normal and different than my perception as an american Mm -hmm. right and it's all a product of the cult, the enculturation that I've been a part of, right? None of it's right or wrong. So anyway, I kind of meander, meandering here. But to, to bring it back to this point, the symptoms are everywhere. Mm. They're the way that we govern. They're the way that we treat each other in relationships. They're the way we treat the planet. They're the way that we respond to stress. They're the way that we push and destroy. Mm. Right? All of these things are just examples of us being completely and totally disconnected from ourselves and therefore from the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe that if we were connected to ourselves, we'd be more connected to the world and we could still have technology. We could still enjoy technology. Mm-hmm. It's just, it wouldn't have to be destroying in order for us to enjoy it. Yeah. Deepening the connection with self. Mm-hmm. Which deepens our connection to everything. And what does that look like to you? Connection to self. Because I've had experiences where I, in my personal life where I'm like feeling really connected to myself. And then now looking at it, I was like, I was surface like that was 1%, dude. <laughs> uh, and I, I've run into clients who, yeah, I love myself. Yeah, I'm really connected. Mm-hmm. But they're experiencing the symptoms of being disconnected. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so what is that to you? It's um, an ongoing journey of curiosity and expanded awareness. So, I mean, and, and without being philosophical, I'd say it's a continuous, it's a daily practice mm-hmm. of self-awareness. Yeah. Um, because I don't think that there's ever somewhere to arrive to. Mm-hmm. Right? The, evo- the the movement right. of evolution right. continues to happen, right? I'm continuing to change and evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are plenty of moments where I'm like, oh my God, I just had no idea that was inside of me. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I discovered something new. And I'm not bringing a lot of judgment to it. I'm in the discovery of it. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, there's that. Oh, wow. There's more. Mm-hmm. There's even more. There's even more now. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's that continuous process of curiously exploring, investigating, getting to know myself mm-hmm. deeper and deeper and deeper. Let's talk psychology for a second. Mm-hmm. Because once we get to know ourselves at a certain level, we play, we attach to an identity. I am this mm-hmm. way, which I feel, or I think, mm-hmm. uh, might hinder further curiosity. It can, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so self-identity is another thing to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, the mystics would say, who is I? Who is I? And I would be the watcher. Ever since I was an infant, uh, there was a, there was there was me, the body, the experiencer, and I that never changes. Mm. I can play as many characters as I want. And I've played many characters in my life, Kevin. <laughs> many <laughs> many characters. Yet, even though I've played those characters, there's something that stays the same about. That's the I, right? The watcher, mm-hmm. that which is not the personality structure. So, mm-hmm. being in the curiosity, this exploration, just like we are with our bodies of the mind. Um, who's the watcher? Who's mm-hmm. the listener to the thoughts? Who's who's the one that's the witnessing? Right? We don't have an answer to this. There's no answer to it. Um, we have lots of philosophy built around it. Mm-hmm. There's no real answer to this. It's just it's just kind of the phenomena of consciousness. Somehow there's this experience of watching ourselves. Does that mean that I'm not myself? How am I not myself? Mm-hmm. Right? Yet at the same time, there is there does seem to be some sort of separation. Mm-hmm between the experience of reality and then the watching of the experience of reality. So back to this question of of the thoughts, right? So it's really important, I think, along the way for us to watch our mind, for us to get to know our thinking patterns Mm. um, and to have somebody to help us to reflect that to us. Very important. Yeah, having a teacher, having very, very important. A therapist, having a coach, having you know any any number of these different things. A psychologist, having that reflection of of our mind of our thinking states, it's so useful Mm -hmm. because now I'm getting to know me. So much happens automatically. There's the inner voice. It's just automatic. Yeah. Like, oh shit, did I just say that thing wrong? <laughs> I've been catching that a lot myself over the past mm-hmm. few weeks mm-hmm. where 
I have automatic responses verbally to things. And I'm like, well, I wasn't even conscious for that. <laughs> <laughs> who, who said that? Right. <laughs> Me? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's funny how that happens. Yeah. Oh, man. The automatic responses, right? And we are, Gurdjieff's work, Gurdjieff's work points to this. He says, we are mostly automatic. It's like 90, I don't think he gives a percent, but I, you know, if I were to guesstimate a percent, I'd say 98% of us is automatic. Maybe mm. one or 2% of us is aware. Mm. Oh. You know, the rest of it is just automatic processes that are just happening. Which gives so much opportunity for self-awareness. Oh yeah, it does, exactly. <laughs> yep. And as yeah. soon as we become aware of something, we modify and adjust and adapt ourselves. So then we need to add in more awareness. Wow. Right? And so there's this continuous process of refinement and the refinement is adjusting the difficulty level. Mm. And we think about it like a video game. Every time you master a level, you get a new level mm -hmm. because otherwise you'd just be playing the same thing over and over again and, and you'd get bored and you'd start omitting the, the data. You'd just be right. flying through it unconsciously. Right. So at every adjustment of consciousness, mm. we have to adjust the difficulty, mm -hmm. which again is why it's useful to have a teacher, a mentor, a helper of some kind in our lives so that we're constantly getting that process of refinement of, oh yeah, that there's that thing. Mm, I need more challenge, but not so much challenge that I collapse underneath the challenge. Mm -hmm. Just the right amount. The Goldilocks zone of challenge. <laughs> Which is different for every person. That's right. It's and different every, for every time. Yes, too. exactly. Mm -hmm. We've touched on a lot of good topics. Uh, Mm -hmm. in this conversation anything else that's tickling your pickle right now <laughs> <laughs> that you want to say mm. i think i'll let's just kind of wrap this up with the the thought that we began with yeah which is the um that quote about obstructions the removal of the obstruction is what leads us to a place of potential freedom mm -hmm. um, and freedom being really experiencing the richness and uh, of our aliveness there's that joseph campbell quote you know um and i actually don't have the quote in front of me but he he references you know experiencing the rapture of being alive what we're really in search of is the rapture of, of being alive and i and i truly believe that if we, when we get rid of all the all the rest of the stuff, like being able to experience the richness of our aliveness, that's where it's at with life. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many things you've accomplished in your life. It doesn't matter who your friends are, the material possessions that you you have surrounding you. None of that matters if I'm not experiencing my aliveness. If you're not experiencing your aliveness, mm -hmm. all of those things are strategies for getting that feeling mm -hmm. but we don't need to add in more mm -hmm. there's nothing that needs to be added to life life has enough in it already mm -hmm. it's just we need to have eyes that can see mm -hmm. a heart that can feel you know, awareness that can perceive and so the real work is in the courage that it takes to experience what is. And that requires us to remove the barriers to that. Yeah. It's beautiful.
Thanks for having me, brother. Thank you for being here, being yourself, sharing your wisdom. Yeah. Where can people connect with you, find out more and get plugged in? Yeah, social media is a good place to connect with me. Um, Facebook.com, will.reezin, and Instagram at willreason, R-E-Z-I-N. And then traumaandsomatics.com for the training. And um, willreason.com for my personal website. Beautiful. Well, y'all definitely got to check out his stuff. Give him a follow. If trauma and somatics interests you, I mean, I can't say too many good things about it. And you might see my face on the landing page. I think I'm still on the testimonials. Still there, yeah. So <laughs> you heard it here. You'll see it there. Uh, do it is, the, is all I got to say. And to you, Will, thank you for being a mentor and a friend in my life uh, over the past two years. Two and a half. Two and a half years. Crazy, huh? It's insane. Um, I honestly wouldn't be the man I am today if it wasn't for your work and you in my life. So Mm. thank you. Yeah. Big love, brother. Thanks for having me here. Of course. For everybody tuning in, put some heart into everything that you do today.